Good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like to invite you to turn with me today to today's scripture reading. It comes from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. And my name's Michelle. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon them, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's holy word. We continue in our series on the book of Acts. I was away for a while, and uh, so we had a three-week a three-week hiatus, and now we're back. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, uh, the, the event of Pentecost and the amazing and very first Christian revival uh, that the Holy Spirit brought about. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 gave birth to what we call the church, uh, the universal church, the global church, the church uh, from all ages since the ascension of Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives birth to the church, And what we saw in the book of Acts, as many different people from all over the world who were speaking many different languages heard the truth of the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we saw that God was bringing people groups of different races, ethnicities, and languages together around a new identity, the identity of Jesus Christ, his name, his work. A new humanity. Now, what does this new humanity look like? In the beginning, at that moment, through the ages, and and even now today, what does this new humanity that God has been formed, that the Spirit of God has been reforming since the moment of Pentecost, what does this new humanity look like? I believe it's a beautiful thing. Because what we see here in the early church is a picture of what the church still can be. It is a beautiful picture showing humanity what it will become when it's restored, when it's renewed. The church is a beautiful, it gives humanity a foretaste of what it's going to become. Now, I want to ask you a question. We'll start with a question. As you heard Michelle reading Uh, the last verses of Acts chapter 2, or as you read it yourself, what was encouraging or inviting to you as you heard those words? There was a sense of oneness in this body. It says they gave up everything for one another, and that was encouraging. Okay. Yeah. They encouraged each other. 
Okay, they encouraged one another. Were you going to say something, Steve? Sharing with one another, fellowshipping with one another daily. Yeah, it did say day by day, didn't it? Good. Any other thoughts? What We live in the real world, and, and as you look at the community that Luke describes, historically describes in this passage, what encourages you? What they were devoted to, whom they were devoted to. Okay. God added to their numbers. They started growing. Good insight. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Very interesting. They received their food with generous hearts. So there was a spirit of generosity on both ends. The, the givers were generous and the receivers were generous, which kind of gets back to what somebody else said. They were encouraging each other and, and they were unified. Yeah. Over here, Jed, right? They're, they are so in awe of the splendor of the Lord that they almost don't care what the rest of the world thinks. Okay. Yeah, you keep coming back to that. There was a sense of awe. Okay, good. Yeah, when you're usually in awe, you, you don't think too much about what people think of you. You're, you're overwhelmed. <laughs> Hence being in awe. Okay. One more. You know, I think that a good way of looking at Acts chapter 2 is to say that the church, the church as God's spirit created it, is the church offers the world. The church at its best, okay, is when I say church, you're thinking of all different things. You have good memories and bad memories. The church at its best offers the world a tangible foretaste of humanity's coming restoration. The church offers the world a picture of what humanity, humanity will become when Jesus returns. And what humanity is becoming under the lordship and the grace of Jesus and today, we're, we're, gonna, we're going to consider the sign of this coming restoration. And we're also going to consider the work of restoration. And then finally, we're going to talk about the means of restoration, the power, the way restoration actually happens. So the sign, the work, and the means of restoration the sign of what humanity will become once we're restored is the church. 
So if you're a Christian, God has already planted you in a community that is showing the world what the world will become someday. We're we're the prototype. The church is the prototype of the new humanity. The church is the sign. When you look at this, this, the first church in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church here itself was evidence that the Spirit of God was doing a new thing. And it said, the passage begins in verse 42. Now, this is after 3,000 people trusted Jesus Christ and were baptized after Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people from all over the world. And it says in verse 22, and they devoted themselves. Now, this is after Pentecost. This is moving forward. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Just want to unpack that verse a little bit because it's so important. John Calvin wrote that any true church has all of these elements within it. The apostles' teaching, see, their worldview was being formed. By the apostles' doctrine. Where did the apostles get their teaching? From the Lord Jesus. And from the Old Testament. So now, submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching given directly from Jesus himself, their worldview is changing. And this new worldview is helping to see that they're part of each other. And so you see the word fellowship. They committed to fellowship. Now, fellowship, if you grew up in a church, fellowship is not coffee and donuts. Fellowship It comes from a Greek word that was a financial word. It was a financial concept. It meant partnership. Now, when you're a partner, you're in it together, right? Co-owners, you're both invested. Uh, It means something to the both of you. And it says here that they were committed to their fellowship. They had a shared identity, a shared ownership of this new community, right? New worldviews. Committed to fellowship, it now says that they broke bread together. They were committed, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Scholars say, almost all of them say, this was probably communion. Okay, The Lord's Supper, the sacrament, part of a larger meal. But now as, as a redeemed community, partnership, shared identity, submitting to the same teaching about Jesus Christ... Now they are remembering as a community that their identity is based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Finally, it says that they committed themselves to the prayers. Okay? Now, as a reconciled community, they're communing not, only, communing not only with each other, but with their Savior. As a community, they are praying together. It says the prayers, not just prayer, which means that now, uh, although the Holy Spirit moves as he wishes, and there's a tremendous amount of spontaneity in the beginning of the book of Acts, you see now, just by that word, the, in in several places in this verse, that they're starting to organize, okay? Their worship and and their giving, uh, they're starting to get organized as they live together. And they're doing all these things, and these endeavors made them a three-dimensional community. I want to talk about three dimensions that you see at the end of Acts chapter 2. There is an upward dimension, there's an inward dimension, and there's an outward dimension to what you see unfold as they devoted themselves to all of these things, as you keep reading on until verse 47. The upward dimension is simply that, They were a worshiping community, right? 
verse 42 tells us they were learning. They were learning about Jesus. They were learning about their Savior. They were learning about their Creator. It says in verse 3 that they were in awe of what God was doing, many signs and wonders through the apostles. And the people were in awe of God. It says in verse 47, the people were praising God. Now notice that they met both in the temple courts. They met formally in public, and it says they met informally in their homes. There, there was a public corporate aspect uh, to their community life, and there was, there was also a, a more informal house-to-house aspect as well. That's why you hear me saying, like a broken we- record, get involved in a community group. It, it, comes right, it comes from here, Acts chapter 2. There's a public sense, right? There, 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 there's an open sense to the people of God, and there's a, there's a household sense to the people of God. And so I keep saying to people, uh, get involved in the worshiping life of the church, but get involved in a community group. We need both of those dynamics, and you see them right here and how they related to one another and how they worshiped. There's also an inward dimension, though, and, and this is to say, oh, I went too far ahead. Let me get back, sorry. Okay. There's an inward dimension, uh, and it's this. They were not only a worshiping community, but they were a nurturing community. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. It says in verse 35 that they sold their possessions and their belongings, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, in conversations I've had over the years, what always comes up is somebody asks the question, is this communism? Is this, is this a 2,000-year-old prototype to socialism or to communism? And uh, no, it's not. Let's move on. Um, I, uh, I'll explain. It, 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 it is not socialism. It is not communism. And here's why. Communism is state-mandated uh, collection and redistribution of resources. Nobody, nobody's commanding. It, it's not state-mandated. As far as we can tell, it's not even apostle-mandated at this point. It says that they are freely and willingly giving to one another, not under compulsion or coercion. There's no mandate here. It simply says that they are sharing with one another. What does it say? As any had need. That was the motivation. Is there a need? We'll figure out a way to provide for that need, to fill that need, to lift that burden. The giving and generosity was a result of their fellowship. Again, the word fellowship means partnership. It also says they had all things in common. And the word for common and the word for fellowship in the original language, they came from the same root. No wonder they were giving to one another and supporting one another because they were unified. If If you have all things in common, if you're of one mind... Of course you're going to help each other out. Of course you're going to take care of one another because you know what each other's needs are. The basis of the generosity here is not a top-down mandate. It's just what the Old Testament had been saying all along and what Jesus had repeated all along. Love your neighbor as yourself and take care of your brothers and sisters. And here the community is doing it. So they they were a worshiping community. They were a nurturing community. But there was an outward dimension to what was going on as well. 
They're a witnessing community. It says in verse 43 that awe came upon every soul because God, through the apostles, was performing many wonders and signs so that people could see what was actually taking place. It says in verse 47, this is amazing. It says they had favor with all the people. This is the same, this is the same setting in which Jesus was crucified, okay? This is Jerusalem. And yet it says that these people, as they lived their lives together after Pentecost, had favor with all the people. They were admired and they were respected in the community. So you have a worshiping community, a nurturing community, and a witnessing community. And the theologian Ed, Edmund Clowney said that this, this summarizes everything that the church is about. Worship, nurture, and witness. All that we do and anything that we do finds its place somewhere in worship, nurture, or witness. And there's also a lot of overlap. Some of the things we do, some of the things the church does, uh, involves two or three of these at the same time. But the church is a community, is an organism created by Jesus Christ that is about worship, nurture, and witness. And then as, as Ken pointed out earlier, verse 47 tells us, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we can't miss this. Right? This brings it all together because we see, okay, they were worshiping. They were nurturing, they were witnessing, but who was doing the saving? God was saving souls. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. They were in each other's homes. They were gathering together publicly. They were in awe of God and what he was doing. They were a positive spectacle to the community and earned the respect of the community. And yet, God was saving souls. God was adding to their number as they devoted themselves to God's priorities. Okay. Worship, nurture, and witness. The sign that God was doing something new. That God was in the process of restoring a broken humanity. Now, studying the Jerusalem church is great. But we can't just leave it at a history lesson. The Jerusalem church has to be a catalyst for every church. The Jerusalem church has to be a catalyst for Deep Run Church, for us. So let's consider that, that the work of restoration, right? we looked at the sign of restoration in Jerusalem. The work of restoration must continue everywhere and right here in this church, in this place, in the 21st century. Let's go back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I just want to park on those words, they devoted themselves. In the original language, that meant to persevere in something, to be persistent, to be constantly committed to what you're doing. They didn't just participate um, or do it here or there. It says as a community, they devoted themselves to these things. So my encouragement to us as a church, let's devote ourselves 
to God's priorities and to God's people. Let's look at it that way. As a community of faith, let's devote ourselves, as they understood devote, to, con- to, per- to persevere in something, in these endeavors. Let's devote ourselves to God's priorities for his church and to God's people. Uh, Steve Childers is a theologian in Florida, and, and he started uh, an organization called Global Church Advancement. Uh, now our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, runs uh, this emphasis. But it was started by, by Steve Childers, Global Church Advancement. They train and support churches all over the world. Um, and uh, what Steve Childers said, uh, Becky and I went to two of his seminars, and what he said is, if you're going to plant a church, plant a healthy one. <laughs> the world needs more healthy churches that care about God's priorities, as is understood here at the end of Acts chapter 2. And so Steve Childers said, when you look at uh, these these closing verses of Acts chapter 2, you see five areas of focus, okay? Five areas of emphasis as the Spirit gave birth to the church and they began to devote themselves to a new way of life. Worship and prayer, learning and discipleship, fellowship and community, mercy and justice, outreach and evangelism. And Steve Childers says, this, this is it. It's all right there at the end of Acts chapter 2. This is what a biblical church is all about. Because of our gifting and our personality and our strengths and weaknesses, any one church will have its strengths and have its weaknesses in these areas. But every biblical church, every church that Jesus puts his, his mark on, his name on, must in some way be committed to all of these. Because we see it here in Acts chapter 2, and then we see it lived out throughout the New Testament. We even see it in all the letters that come after the book of Acts. So a healthy, and let me put it in my own words for us, a healthy church, moving too fast there, a healthy church is committed to worship. To maturity, to unity, to compassion, and to witness. That's a healthy church. That's the church as Jesus intended it to be. Committed to worship and maturity and unity and compassion and witness. And if you look on the back of your printed worship order, and you've heard me say this many, many times, we have a vision statement that flows out of that, but is more specific to Westminster and Carroll County on the east coast of the United States to cultivate a community that seeks to discover the depths of Christ's love, to grow in his truth, and to bring hope to Westminster and our world. And you'll notice that those three dimensions are in that statement. There's an upward dimension, there's an inward dimension, and there's an outward dimension. So, Let's devote ourselves to God's priorities and to each other. Now it gets more personal. Let's devote ourselves to God's priorities for his church here. And that also means that we have to devote ourselves to one another. Every Christian needs a church community in which he or she can devote herself that's the way God designed Christianity. That's, that's the way he designed salvation and the community of faith. 
is that we need the community in order to grow. We need the community in order to invest and devote ourselves. So uh, we should each be asking ourselves this question. Am I attending Deep Run Church or am I devoted to Deep Run Church? Maybe you're visiting as a Christian from another place. Are you attending your church or are you devoted to your faith community? That's why we're offering a membership seminar. That's why we're in the the middle of our first membership campaign as a church. Because what membership accomplishes here is it gives you an opportunity to transition from attending to devoting. That's it right there. When you move from attending and associating yourself with that church in general to devoting yourself to this faith community, devoting yourself to these people, first to Jesus, but then to these people that Jesus has brought to you. That's what membership accomplishes. No more just attending, but now devoted. Okay. In the spirit of Acts chapter 2, and once we're devoted together to Jesus, to his people here, and to his purposes here, well, now we can share in the Holy Spirit's work of restoration. Okay. You don't share in the Holy Spirit's work of restoration all by yourself, friend. You share in it as a community of faith. And then the broader community will start tasting the restoration. And some of them will want it for themselves. And God will add them to our number. Now, I think we've got to admit that we, left to our own devices, without any encouragement from God's Spirit and from His Word and from each other, we're two-dimensional people. And we design and make two-dimensional churches where we may only be devoted to one or two of these important emphases that we see at the end of Acts chapter 2. Some churches, and maybe you, are devoted to worship and to nurture, but you're not devoted to witness. And that's something that some uh, fundamentalist churches struggle with, is they're devoted to worship and they're devoted to nurture, but they're not devoted to witness. Um, Maybe you're devoted to worship and witness, but not to nurture. Uh, sometimes when churches get really big, it's, it's fine. It, the Jerusalem church had thousands of people in it. You cannot criticize a megachurch because of the church in Jerusalem. Okay. But sometimes as churches grow and get very large, uh, they focus on worship and they focus on reaching their community and they struggle to care for one another. And they struggle to stay connected, to have that shared identity and ownership with one another. Some churches, uh, some, some people who profess to be Christians are diverted to nurture and to witness, but not to worship. Which is loving your neighbor and loving one another and caring about the world in which you live, but not having any connection to your creator. Not having any connection to the one who gave birth to the church in the first place. And so you're doing all of these good things and all of these admirable things. Really, friend? For no lasting reason. You're doing all these amazing things without any guidance and oversight from your creator. 
And so you're nurturing and you're witnessing, but you're not worshiping. And God says in his word, then, then you're nurturing and you're witnessing are in vain because they're not coming from me in my truth and my power. And we all tend to gravitate in one of those directions. And our churches, because, because we're that way, our churches become that way. And so, and so you have two-dimensional churches in many places, run by and led by and, and, and filled with two-dimensional people or two-dimensional Christians. Why does that happen? I think because we take our consumer, and I'll use the word consumerism. It's fine, but not when you try and mix it with Christianity. We take our American consumer mentality and we bring it into our religion. Look, I can get online, I can log on to Amazon.com and pick and order and receive whatever I want. I can go to the supermarket and buy whatever I want and walk out without really any connection to who made that project, product, to who sold it to me. It's a one-way relationship, isn't it? And we often take that consumer mentality and we bring it into our religion and we bring it into the door of a worship facility and we bring it into our relationships with one another and we say, same thing, one-way relationship. I'm here to get what I want out of you. I'm here to get what I need out of you. And, and, and so we end up having a, a, a dysfunctional church, right? a, a, um, a, um, a deformed church that isn't, accurately reflecting the light of God to the world so that when the world sees the church, the world doesn't see a restored humanity. The world sees a deformed reflection of itself. When they look at Christians who have two-dimensional concepts of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a part of a church or to attend a church or to worship in a church. And so the world can't see what God's spirit is doing in the church as a foretaste of the coming redemption and restoration of humanity. I think it's a really... So again, ask yourself, friends, am I I attending my church or am I devoted to my church? Do I know the names of the people in the seats next to me once, once a week? Or am I devoted to them? And you need, I will pray for you, and you need to pray for me because pastors are the most tempted to make their relationship with the church a one-way street. There is hope for two-dimensional people, for two-dimensional worshipers, and for two-dimensional churches. There is hope because the means of this restoration that we see in Acts chapter 2. And we've talked about the sign of it, and we talked about the work of restoration. The means, the power by which restoration takes place belongs to the one who is devoted to his church. Let me explain what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage. He's, he's telling husbands and wives to love one another Interestingly, he, he uses Jesus and the church as his illustration. And he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I think that is a profound thing because what Paul, even though he was talking about marriage, he said something extremely profound. He said, Jesus has a bride. The church, Jesus is married to the church. It says that he died for his bride. The New Testament tells us that he's coming back for his bride. And when he comes back for his bride, she is going to be perfected. No, no longer a foretaste of what humanity will become, but the new humanity fully recognizable, fully redeemed, fully restored. When he comes back for his bride, she's going to be as beautiful as the bride looks as you are watching and she is coming down the aisle. Jesus died for that woman. Jesus is coming back for that woman. Jesus loves that woman. And that woman, the Bible says, is the church. Now, here's the thing. Jesus isn't married to me. Jesus isn't married to you. Jesus is married to us. You need to see the distinction. This is why solo Christianity doesn't work. Because Jesus isn't married to you, friend. Jesus is married to us. And we grow together. And he restores us together. Yes, as individuals. But you will remain spiritually deformed for the rest of your life unless you devote yourself to Jesus' bride. And that's where you begin to love Jesus's people, if you if you try to manipulate and coerce and hurt my wife, don't you think I'd be upset? I have no right. None of us as individuals have the right to use Jesus's bride for our personal fulfillment. The church belongs to him. He loves his church. And he's provided the church for us. And so. This is why we must be devoted to Jesus and to each other because he's devoted to us. That's what the cross shows. He gave up everything for you and me. When you sit down at the breakfast table and you look at your bacon and eggs, you say, hmm, the chicken participated in my breakfast, but the pig was devoted Jesus was devoted to his church. You and I contribute. You and I participate, but Jesus showed that he was devoted. And he proved it on the cross. That's that's the hope we have. The church will never fail, not because of you, not because of me. We're a mess. We're a mess. And the community is going to see that we're a mess, but Jesus isn't. The church will never fail because Jesus is devoted to her and Jesus is coming back for her. And that's where our hope is. You know, somebody, somebody said recently from a very large church in, in our region uh, uh, said, why even bother planting churches? There are so many churches. There are so many fully equipped church. Why plant another church? Why even bother? It's a good question. Here's why we're bothering. Because the spirit 
the tradition of Acts chapter 2 must continue until Jesus Christ returns. You can never have too many healthy, three-dimensional churches in the world. Reaching into communities and finding people that the other churches, for whatever reason, aren't reaching. You can never have enough healthy, three-dimensional churches. And that is why we're here. Because we believe God has called us to this place and has something for us to do. Are you a Christian? Then devote yourself. Devote yourself to your church, friend. Um, Are you not a Christian? Well, then I would ask you to devote yourself to Jesus. If you're going to be a part of the restoration process of all humanity, which I would encourage you to join us, then let Jesus, Jesus has to restore you first, friend. You need to receive forgiveness from him. He needs to renovate your soul, your mind, and reconcile you to your creator. You devote yourself to Jesus, and then you can join us as through us, God gives the community and the world a picture of what a restored humanity will look like so that we can all participate in what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 60, The Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The church at its best offers the world a clear picture, a foretaste of what a restored, renewed humanity will look like. Let's endeavor in that under Christ's loving leadership together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving yourself, committing yourself to your bride. Help us to trust you together. Work in us to make us healthy. Give us your priorities, and in faith, we set aside our own. But make us one. And may the world see you in us. Amen.